This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Tuesday, February 6th, 2024 edition. And we have Luke back. Back to back days, Luke. You made it. Congratulations. Maybe tomorrow we'll go for the three peat again. Who knows? Hey, uh, I'm a big Kobe and Shaq fan, so I'm big, big, uh, big fan of the three peat. But uh, you know, it, it takes a lot of work to do uh, to, to get a three peat, uh, and hopefully we can get there tomorrow. But today is the focus, and the focus is you, our listeners, and giving you actionable material so that you can make better decisions with your money. We do that by answering your finance and investment questions, which we love. You can always give us a call, 888-99-CHART, whatever you feel like, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and we'll answer your question on a future show. So we're gonna play some of those and hopefully some live questions as well from our live stream listeners and our radio listeners. So uh, hopefully a, an action-packed day for all of you. And we're gonna talk about the market performance on the day, which was interesting, and run down some show topics. But as usual, we're going to hit our first caller question now. Hello, Justin. This is Chris from New York. Just want to get your thoughts on the company Vale. Ticker is V A L E. Uh, I have a two percent position right now. I know it's in a downtrend. Just want to get your thoughts on the company and if I should be adding more. I'll probably wait for it to level off a little bit. But just want to get your thoughts, and I look forward to hearing your answer on the podcast. Thank you. Bye. All right, looking at Vale, I believe that's how you pronounce it. It's a large global miner and the world's largest producer of iron ore and pellets. Iron ore and pellets. They also have exposure to nickel, copper, uh, fertilizer, coal, and they have a steel operation as well. And, you know, this is a well diversified company, very large, $57 billion market cap, but. Luke, they're domiciled in Brazil, which adds an extra layer of complexity and geopolitical risk. Although the trends politically in Brazil, could I argue, are looking a bit better, although that's a low bar to get over, right? It is. Improving is, is a good word for it, but albeit not as much as probably a lot of people would like. The thing that strikes me the most about this company is – it has 50% of its revenue from mainland China. Mm -hmm. So I would imagine, given what's going on in the Chinese economy and, and depressed demand, certainly below what we thought we would be at coming out of the pandemic, there's been a little hit to revenues. And that's evidenced in their earnings. Earnings per share down from $3 to $2.31, although next year it's projected to be up at two fifty nine. dollars Consistent earnings downgrades over the past several months. And their profitability and cash flow is certainly taken a hit since uh, the mid-pandemic 2021 to 2022. So not a lot that I'm seeing that I'm liking here. 
Yeah, that's that's my biggest issue. You're seeing w- what is happening in China, although they did step in, was that today, yesterday, to try to support the equity markets more broadly. But in general, the trends in the Chinese economy are just poor, would be generous, shall we say. Uh, it's looking pretty bad from a demographic situation, global trade. Uh, and, you know, I, I just would not bet big on a company that it has, as Luke said, 50% of their revenue coming from China. Now, these are commodities, so certainly they could shift maybe their the selling of their, their raw materials to the rest of the world. So that would be a positive here if they could do that. But the, the trends overall in earnings, like Luke said, it's pretty bad. Four dollars and fifty, sorry, four dollars and five cents in earnings in twenty twenty two. Last year, once they report fourth quarter earnings, only supposed to be two dollars and forty one cents, down forty percent. And when you see that eight point seven percent dividend yield, remember you are uh, you're, you're taking a lot of risk, and you see that with the the recent downturn. Now, I will say technically. It's back around the low teens level where it bottomed out around $12 back in August. And there's certainly a lot of support in this 12 to $13 range. Now it's at $13.41. So yeah, technically there's some support. Maybe you want to wait until that $12, breaking that $12 to, to, to get out. Um, but as Luke said, uh, there's not a lot of faith here that this will turn around because the Chinese economy probably isn't turning around anytime soon. Now, we have a lot of ground to cover over the next 40 minutes or so. Our main focus point concerns this story. As layoff surge, January hiring was a record low for the month. And I think this is interesting because the headline numbers from last Friday and the non-farm payrolls report. But underneath the surface, job cuts are accelerating. So we certainly have to take that into account when you're looking at the broader economic trends. So we're going to look at that. Also, we're going to touch a bit on pharma. And this is the space where there is a lot of landmines, uh, mainly because of patent cliffs. And sometimes these companies handle the patent cliffs well, other times not so much. So we're going to look at a couple of recent examples there. And then next, timeshares. Timeshares. I'm sure we've all been pitched a timeshare once or twice in our life. And we'll talk about some recent trends on timeshare pricing as of late. And then lastly, yesterday, we had the report from the Federal Reserve Survey of senior bank lending officers. And as I've said before many times, is most people think money, dollars, are created by the Fed or the Treasury. Or governments create, creates money. But in the reality, it's about banks, bank lending. In a fractional reserve banking system, it's lending money that creates dollars in the system mainly. And so are banks lending more or are they lending less? So we're going to look at that survey. Now we're going to go into a short, oh, sorry, we're going to get some voice bank questions. One is on profit taking and the other on METC, M-E-T-C, Ramico Resources. And we'll try to fit in an iTunes review question as well on ticker symbol Lumen. Now we're going into a short break. On the other side, we'll be talk about, talking about the market activity for today. 
Remember, you can call anytime and leave your question on the Invest Talk Voice Bank. If you're listening via our live stream or an AM1220 radio in the Silicon Valley area, you can call right now at 888-99-CHART. Every investor is working to build a secure financial future. Would this be an opportune time to get into annuities? Everyone's situation is different. Get your thoughts on CRM, Salesforce. And so are their questions. And I was just calling for your assessment of Blackstone Incorporated. To get your take on Chewy. Ticker symbol L-E-C-O. Just wanted to get your opinion on JP Morgan. Invest Talk hosts Justin Klein. You know, I'm okay paying a fair price for a very good business. Steve Peasley. It's a very well-run company. And now Luke Guerrero. EBITDA growth is significantly higher than its competitors. Are ready to provide their unbiased answers. Each podcast is unique and you set the agenda. I will. Hey, hi, Steve. I'm 24-7, rain or shine, Invest Talk is made better by the power of you. Call 888-99-CHART. Let's take a quick look at your financial to-do list. At the top, make that phone call to the Invest Talk Anytime Listener Line, 888-99-CHART. Now, Luke, let's talk about the market performance for today. It was certainly mixed, but positive. Large cap growth was the underperformer after being the outperformer for most of this year. Uh, what did you see? overall uh, in today's market. Well, interesting to note that the uh, Chinese equity rally, which was the largest single-day rally since March of 2022, didn't really spill over into U.S. markets today. The market pretty much focused, in my opinion, just on on rate stabilization, kind of a a bullish talking points revolving around uh, the potential Fed pivot, whereas bears tend to point out that higher for longer is still more, more more of the game, if you will. Uh, I maybe you want to rename it stable, stabler for longer, more stable for longer. <laughs> I don't know. But either way, longer. paused for longer. Either way, there wasn't really much in terms of economic data coming in today. Tomorrow seems to be a pretty quiet day as well. So other than that, just some some overall general repricing. Yeah, you had the Mag Seven stocks, which did well last week. They're starting to come back in over the past couple of days. Still the leader so far this year in performance, but uh, obviously we, we know that that can change, especially if you get uh, the economy reaccelerating or the dollar weakening. And that was, uh, I think, really the news today. The dollar was uh, fairly weak, and you saw the commodity names uh, get a bit of uh, reprieve from that pressure they saw since the Fed meeting, which was uh, at least interpreted by the markets as a bit more hawkish. Now let's talk about so let's let's go to what are we going to go to our main focus oh let's keep let's do a voice bank question this one came in earlier from eight 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 ninety nine chart hey, good afternoon invest talk I had a question about Ramico Resources ticker M E T C about a month and a half ago it has shot up about one hundred and twenty five hundred thirty percent and I took out my original investment when it went up that high. And I was just curious on your thoughts for this company moving forward. And I will be listening on the podcast for your, your answer. I appreciate everything that you guys do. Have a great night. 
All right, looking at Ramico Resources, MET-C is the symbol, and you wonder why is Ramico Resources, why is there is their symbol MET-C? Well, it's because they are in the business of mining for metallurgical coal. MET-coal is what they typically call it. And this is a small cap name, less than a billion dollars in market cap. It did surge up, but it is reversing here. It peaked out in December or no, sorry, in January, uh, around $22 in change. Now we're at $16.58. So as quickly as this move from $7 all the way to 22, it's retracing that uh, pretty quickly here. Uh, you know, a lot of these coal names, Luke, are trading at pretty depressed valuations. And, you know, it surged, now it's coming back. Has it come back enough to make it worthwhile again? Certainly, like you said, it's coming back. I mean, its price to book is still 2.5 relative mm -hmm. to its five-year average of 1.4. Its price to earnings is well above its five-year average as well. It's got quite a bit of debt, $139 million on a $900 million uh, market cap. It's set to make less money in 2023 than it did in 2022 mm -hmm. uh, and less money in 2024 than it did in 2022 as well. Its cash flow is pretty stable, but its profitability kind of took a hit. One thing that's of note to me is there's about 10.7, so nearly 11% short interest. Uh, I think there's still some room for this thing to come down. Well, I think the short interest to me is more of a product of the industry that it's in. You know, there are a lot of people that are shorting just coal in general, just because it's a, an anti, uh, an anti-environmental. Uh, bet, you know, that, that ESG will push investment into these names out and that uh, there will be higher cost of capital for names, right? If they have to refinance that debt, that will go up, et cetera. So I wouldn't worry too much about that, but I would worry, uh, like you said, that the kind of trend in profitability trend in earnings, which is, is not fantastic, even though their sales are, are pretty solid. Like their, their sales are fine, but why is profitability shrinking? Is it because just their overall costs to run the mines are increasing? Is that labor? Is that the energy that goes into it? You know, what is that? And, and that's what worries me there. So um, from a technical perspective, there is support around $15. So if you wanted to pick up more, that's around the 100 day moving average, the 50% retrace from this recent move. And that is good support. But beyond that, uh, I think you find better coal names out there besides this one. Thanks for the call. 88899 chart, 88992 is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. We're going to head into our first major break for the hour, and we're ready for your call. So give us a call now at 88899 chart. Every investor is working to build a secure financial future. How they get there and when they get there, that depends on many variables. The more you learn about how the market works, the better your chances. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Now, our focus point today concerns this story. As layoffs surge, January hiring 
was a record low for the month. Despite the big headline numbers, if you actually look at the report from Challenger Gray, it showed the highest level of job cuts in January since early last year. Job outplace, the, the job outplacement firm, that's Challenger Gray, said planned layoffs totaled 82,307 for the month, up 136 from December. Now, that sounds like a lot, but most companies, they don't really lay off anybody in December. It's the holidays. You don't want to tell people. You don't want to give them a pink slip uh, as they're going to the holidays. They usually wait till January, so that's very common. Uh, but it is down uh, 20% from the same period a year ago. So, you know, while they're up from recent trends, they're down from a year ago. Uh, it was the second highest total layoff since 2009 in January. So you can see that uh, there are sectors like technology, finance were the, the hardest hit. hit. Uh, Microsoft, Alphabet, and PayPal all announced layoffs. Amazon as well, UPS said it's the, the biggest month for layoffs since March of 2023. And I think that's underreported, Luke, about this surge in the MAG-7 is that, yeah, business was fairly good, but remember, markets like layoffs. They, they, they love cost-cutting, and that was really the, the main driver here for most of these businesses is that they were just right-sizing their, their staff for a slower economic environment. Yeah, that certainly seems to be the case. I mean, the, the most surprising part about that is the food producers announcing 7,000 cuts, mm-hmm. highest since November 2012. Because if you think about what happened during the pandemic, I'm not surprised that there are tech layoffs or financial sector layoffs. There was a lot of capital. There was a lot of stimulus. There was a lot of money running through the economy. People would just hire anybody who could code to be at a tech firm. Mm-hmm. From a financial perspective, the amount of excess capital led to, to good deals. But now deal flows kind of dried up in the investment banking arm. Mm-hmm. Goldman Sachs, which earlier in the year announced it would have its largest layoff since, I believe, the financial crisis, said most of it's focused in their investment banking division. So I think even within these digging past the top line number of the jobs report and seeing the sector breakdown, I would be interested to know, and I don't know offhand, within within finance specifically, where are these layoffs coming from? Again, tech makes sense. They, I still believe that they overhired during the pandemic. Finance, I wouldn't be surprised if it's focused within the, the, the investment banking divisions. And mortgage industry. And mortgage industry, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and you know how much is this driven by AI adoption? I'm sure there's some application there, but probably not the main driver here. Uh, like I said, it's probably cost cutting. Now, what makes me believe this a lot more than that headline on Friday, which right 300 what was it 319,000 jobs? Was that the headline? Something like that, Something and like that. much higher than expected, and that made the market pivot towards pushing out a, a rate cut even farther, uh, strengthening the dollar, et cetera. What makes me believe this data from Challenger Gray is the continuing claims. Because if you look at that, it actually resurged to the highest level. Let me pull this up. Almost the highest level in the last 12 months. The last time it was this high, was at one, basically called 1.9 million continuing claims, which was higher than December, the peak in December. It was just shy of mid-November is at 100, 1.925 million. 
So, right, uh, 25,000 jobs basically shy of the high of this cycle of continuous claims. And so mm-hmm. if that continues, that was up 90,000 just last week. Okay, so this is what I'm watching. It's not about, as I've always said, it's not about how many people fire, file for unemployment in any given week. It's how many of them mm-hmm. stay unemployed for an extended period of time. And so I'm still in the belief that the job market is clearly weakening and will precipitate a Fed rate cut. But, uh, you know, I think the reality is somewhere in between this number and that rosy number that we got on Friday. Now let's go to Jeff in Alabama. He wants to talk about Shell. Good afternoon, Justin. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Uh, I'd like to let you uh, let Steve know that we're thinking about him in our thoughts and prayers. Appreciate and, that. Uh, we miss him. I will pass on the message. Yes, uh, Shell. I was going to see about making an investment in Shell, and I wanted to get your fundamental analysis and technicals and uh, let me know what you think about it. Well, the first thing when I look at the chart on Shell is I think it's remarkably strong compared to the broader big oil names, Exxon, Chevron, et cetera. So I like that outperformance. Its relative strength is at 45, kind of middling uh, compared to uh, the overall market. Exxon's only at 27 and Chevron is at 32. So I like that. Uh, now, Shell is more globally diversified. It's obviously a UK domicile company uh, and 4.1% dividend yield. Uh, but we're going to go to a quick break. Luke and I are going to look over this and we'll get to our full answer at the other side of this break. Now, the next Invest Talk, a look into the question Is the market in a dangerous position? That story tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein with the Guerrero. We're ready to take your calls at 888 chart. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. In today's market, more than ever, you need unbiased investing guidance because it can help you achieve financial freedom. Well, you've come to the right place. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Now, before the break, we were talking to Jeffrey, and he was asking about Shell, the large integrated oil and gas company domiciled in the UK, 
$212 billion market cap, Luke. They just had earnings. They beat expectations by a bit. Uh, what I liked here was they have a big buyback program, about $3.5 billion a quarter, which is very large. They returned 42% of their cash flow to shareholders for the full year 2023. That's above their 30 to 40% distribution guidance. So that they're they're really taking this cash flow and giving it back to shareholders in a big, big way. They're also reducing costs, and uh, they reduced that by about a billion dollars last year. So I really like what's happening here, and I would give this a thumbs up in my mind. Yeah, I think Shell's a fine company. It's pretty fairly valued. It's trading at its book value. I think uh-huh. the thing that probably gives me some pause is that its margins are just not great compared uh-huh. to other companies within the sector. I mean, its net margin was 7.6. Exxon was 10. Chevron is 12. It has twice the debt of Exxon at half the, the market cap. I think there's probably, in my opinion, some better some better oil and gas names out there that have better margins, more more margin for error with less debt, but I don't have anything against Shell personally. Yeah, maybe that's why they're trying to cut costs. And yeah, and they, they have been successfully doing it. And there's, a, there's yeah. obviously been a positive market reaction as, as evidenced by where it's been trading recently. Yeah. And the new CEO is focused on shareholder returns, which you always like that. CEOs that are focused on, on, on those uh, aspects of the business means that they're not going to uh, do foolish things with shareholder money, which happens a lot in corporate America. Let's go to Roger in the Bay Area looking at APD, Air Products. And chemicals down big on recent earnings. Do you own it or looking to buy it? I own a small portion of my portfolio. Uh, I felt uh, the stock was pretty hammered yesterday after a weak guidance. I feel the the reaction to the stock use was a bit overdone. Uh, I, I want to know your take on this. Like, uh, is it a good uh, uh, point to actually buy more or just cut your losses and uh, get out of it? Well, from a technical perspective, it is at the lowest level in the last couple of years, right at the support that it found in 2022. And their earnings were, yeah, they they certainly missed down 6% in revenue year over year. Earnings were down 3% year over year. And that's after consistent growth and consistent increase in sales and profits. And now... Then this is a perfect example of when you have the market pricing in a a premium to a name because of consistent growth, and then that growth disappears or disappoints, the stock can drop dramatically. And that's what you as it corrected enough. Now it's trading at about 19, 20 times uh, earnings. Backward-looking earnings, which is you know about the market multiple. They do have a little bit of debt here, Luke. Is it cheap enough in your mind with a, let's see, price to book, 3.3? Yeah, it's trading at the sector average in terms of its multiples. Its price to earnings on a forward-looking basis is around 17 times. 
kind of expensive. Wouldn't say it's egregiously expensive. Mm-hmm. I'd say anytime you have a big move like this, and let me pull this back on like a two year real quick. Anytime you have a big move like this, you want to have it kind of figure out where it's going to be. This could mm-hmm. easily move lower. It could easily move higher, but either way, I would wait a little bit, see, see what happens in this price discovery phase. Yep. I think it's probably trading at a fair value, but like you said, this is another example of the market expects something given history. When something changes, you you're going to have a big move like this. Yeah, and, and, and you said price discovery phase. And that that's common. Uh, everyone thinks that the market is this magic efficient place. And the reality is it takes some time for there to be price discovery. And that usually it's, it takes at least three days and often you know many weeks for it to settle out. And so far, it's just been kind of trading here right around the 220 level. And that is major support. It's the 100-month moving average. Am I correct? Oh, sorry. Yeah, 100-month moving average. So that's the first time it's hit that since 2012, so over a decade. And this is it found the support here once, which means that this support is actually going to be less strong. Uh, you know, the more you hit on a, a, a price support level, the more the higher odds that it breaks through. And if it kind of stays around this 220 level for long enough, it will break through. And I will say the next major support is down around 184, 184. And so I would be very patient on it. Uh, at 184, I'd probably relook at it because it is a good business. Uh, and you probably need a few quarters to see how much of a, a problem this, uh, this current economic environment is for this name. And, and clearly, it's not good. All right, let's uh, let's talk a bit about the farm industry. And Avi was an area, still is a name, that has been dealing with patent cliffs. And there are many companies, large, multi-billion-dollar pharma businesses that uh, are reliant on one, two, three, a handful of drugs that really drive their their sales and their profits. And when the, they go off patent, suddenly that can be huge risk. And Humira, which is the blockbuster drug from uh, AbbVie, it used to be uh, under Abbott, and there was a spinoff. AbbVie was a spinoff of Abbott. And in total, it grossed about $200 billion in revenue throughout its lifetime, and it's still producing revenue today. Uh, but uh, what's interesting is there is AbbVie's strategy as this uh, went off patent in 2022 as how they were going to deal with these biosimilars. And they've done that by applying for a lot of patents of various delivery mechanisms to kind of protect themselves from their competitors uh, on different manufacturing processes, for example. And that's keeping the drug still pulling in billions here. So, Luke, can all of these drug companies navigate their patent cliffs as seamlessly as AbbVie has? I mean, they certainly could until something changes uh, from a from a regulatory legislative perspective. Um, I think they, AbbVie benefits from being a massive company with an army of lawyers. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly, a lot of pharmaceutical companies that have been reaping in the benefit of of their patented drugs have that ability as well. But I think overall, 
the point of these patent expirations and getting generics into the market is to lessen the cost to consumers of some of these drugs. And so if through legal means companies are able to skirt what has historically been uh, the norm within the pharmaceutical industry, I think everybody can agree, even in a Congress such as this, that uh, can't can't agree on you know how to put your how to put your pants on, uh, doing it one leg at a time. That uh, voters are going to probably want cheaper drugs. Yeah, and does this also? Is there a level of regulatory capture that this is pretty much I- exhibiting? The fact that. They're able to, uh, and, and AbbVie's not just uh, the only one, Merck's doing this, and there are other drug companies that are uh, taking the existing drugs, kind of finding ways to file patents for different uses, manufacturing processes, d- delivery mechanisms, etc. But the overall drug, that hasn't changed, right? The, the technology of what they developed hasn't really changed. So you know, will that regulatory capture change anytime soon? Or is this something that you can basically count on these drug companies being able to navigate because they just need to spend a few million dollars on on lobbyists? Yeah. I mean, frankly, you can count on this being how it's going to be for a while. (laughs) Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how this evolves. Obviously there was the recent, um, I forgot what bill it was that uh, Medicare was able to negotiate on 10 drugs, was it? And it's going to be 10 more each year, but there are thousands of drugs out there. Was it uh, part of the IRA? For. Yeah, I believe so. Um, so, you know, I think there will be some some creep here to push drug prices down. But what's most interesting about the, the Humeyer case and the AbbVie case and the Merck cases is that uh, it's not really about that as much as it is being able to create new patents that enforce their lock on the market and their profit margins for extended periods of time and on various types of uh, use cases for these drugs. And so you can, you can push down on the cost of, of one from one uh, particular use case, but it can always be used in other ways as well. So uh, it's pretty interesting to see how the lawyers are maneuvering around a lot of these patent cliffs and they're finding new ways to do it. So that's why you're seeing all these drug companies near all-time highs because they're trying, they're starting to figure out uh, how to uh, create that regulatory capture. And it'll be interesting to follow that to see if that sticks over the long term. Now, when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, we'd like to thank them for the courtesy by getting to their questions quickly. Beirut Don says, Justin, my son, Matt from Jordan, recently did a portfolio review with you. I don't think you have talked about Lumen in a while. Just curious if you said, if you see any catalyst that will turn the ship around. To me, it isn't a technical question, but one of leadership. I understand this is a speculative play and will take three to five years to pan out. But what are your thoughts on the long-term position? 67% institutional ownership and some insider buying. Uh, and our best to Steve. Thanks for that, Beirut Don. Now, uh, Lumen is a name that has been shrinking, and it's been shrinking by trying to right-size its balance sheet, selling off assets in order to pay down debt. And the market has determined that the value of what's left is not enough to likely keep them in business. And 
ultimately, that's the issue. The free cash flow now is negative. If you look back just a few years ago, it was over $4 billion in 2021. Now it's negative $900 billion. So, and they're still under the weight of about $20 billion in long-term debt. It's trading at $1.36, I think, for a reason. This is the market's the market's telling you that this is going bankrupt. Do you see anything else here? Luke? It doesn't make money. Stay away. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, it, it, I think they talked a big game and weren't able to execute on it. They wanted to sell off assets and they believed that their assets were worth enough to get the balance sheet in a more sustainable situation, a more sustainable path. Clearly, that's not the case. They have not been able to right the ship. And while the technicals are slightly improving recently, not a name I would bet on longer term. Now let's pivot back to the Best Stock Voice Bank for a call that came in earlier on 888-99 chart. Hey, Justin and Luke, Joe from South Carolina here. Just calling, wondering what you think of UPS, United Parcel Service. Stock's been going down for a while, but I see their business as one that has a high barrier to entry just because it's really just them and FedEx and USPS. Just wanted to see what you think of it. I think it could be a good value here and wanted to see if you agree. Look forward to listening for your answer on the podcast. We're looking at UPS recently announced earnings and disappointed the markets was trading at about 158, now trading at 145 and changed at the close today. They had disappointing guidance for the full year. We talked about them doing a bit of layoffs. But Luke, I kind of agree that at a certain price, UPS is a good bet because of that duopoly or triopoly, would you call it, between them, FedEx, and uh, United Postal, United, um, Postal Service. So uh, this is a name that interests me for sure, 4.6% dividend yield. But do you bet on it yet? Is it cheap enough yet? Come on the fence here. Yeah, I think it's pretty reasonably valued, to be honest. I mean, it's trading at about 16 times mm-hmm. next 12-month price to earnings. It's trading a little bit more than it has over the past five years. It's priced at book value. So I'd maybe wait, down, wait for it to come down a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But one thing about UPS versus FedEx, really, is that generally speaking, UPS has a stranglehold on delivering Amazon packages. Mm-hmm. Uh, which accounts for a lot of, of, of packages being moved around this country. Um, so I think that's one benefit it has over FedEx. And, and, and you know, the caller was correct in that it's, it, it, there are barriers to entry for this business. I don't expect another, another player to come into the mix anytime soon. I'm with you. I don't think it's quite cheap enough right now, but at a certain point it will be, and it seems to me like that's going to be pretty soon. Yeah, from a technical perspective, I will say, you know, around this 130 to 140 range is pretty good longer term support. If you go to a monthly chart, it's right around the uh, 100 month moving average, which is typically in in a good market in a bull market, uh, where it tends to find support. So I do like that. Uh, I like that they're buying back shares, they're paying out a dividend, I do think that dividend is a bit stretched. Its payout ratio now is 80%. Its cash dividend payout ratio is 105%. So I don't think the dividend is going up anytime soon. Uh, but they do have a very good balance sheet compared to their market cap. Their times interest earned is 12. So it, it's 
I, I like that about it. Um, I don't think it's a terrible bet at these prices. I like good businesses at a fair price and a poor business at a cheap price. So, you know, I think that's what this qualifies as, as a good business at a fair but not cheap price. Thanks for the call. Now, listen, Best Talk, I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal each and every weekday, and that's to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So if you're going to call, you don't do that right now at 888-99-CHART. No two portfolios are alike, and every investor has a unique set of circumstances. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve, Justin, and Luke. Hey, it's Matt, longtime listener of the show here from Minneapolis, Minnesota. I am obviously have some cash on hand because I've done some profit-taking I know you say take profit-taking after um, maybe your portfolio or in a stock you get over like 8-10% in that specific one. Is there a certain amount you should take from a stock? Should you just take 3-4% automatically or how much should you take? I know usually I try to wait until after a year for capital gains and tax reasons, but um, I'm just kind of uncertain on how much to take or when exactly to take profit. Thank you for your help. Have a good day. Oh, well, this is pretty simple. You take as much as your portfolio target is. What do you want that position to be in your portfolio? Two, three, four, five percent of your portfolio, whatever that is. And you have to look at your portfolio as a whole. What is your sector allocation to that particular sector? Do you want to have it at a certain level for a particular reason, uh, et cetera. So it's really about the target. You want it as a percentage of your portfolio. Thanks for the call. Great advice. Now, Justin, I know you and I are very excited to talk about this next topic, primarily because I love informing our listeners about terrible investments. Mm -hmm. And this one may take the cake, and it is as old as time, and Mm -hmm. that is timeshares. Yes. Now, for anybody who doesn't know what a timeshare is, essentially you pay a bunch of money and you get a certain amount of time that you're able to use a property or properties. I know back in the day, you maybe had a timeshare for one vacation rental, but now companies like Marriott and and hotel companies actually give you timeshare credits that you can use at any of their properties. Now for me, timeshares are an interesting thing that some people call investments. I had a, a former coworker who used to take advantage of the uh, timeshare salespeople who would uh, give free vacations at one of the properties if you sat in on a couple meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of them, I'll never forget, told him that you can think of a timeshare as a, get this, 401V, your 401. vacation retirement plan. <laughs> wow. I think of the, the brainstorm meeting that, that somebody came up with that. And I guarantee he's the only one using that, that, that term. And he didn't know that my former coworker managed mutual funds and would take Love a lot it. of offense to having this being called a 401v. But essentially, where we are now is a lot of people decided they wanted to buy into timeshares. And now a lot of people are finding out that they can't get out of those timeshares because you're not just paying for the right to use the property. You're paying for the upkeep and there's annual fees. And a lot of people have found themselves in quite a bit of a hole. Isn't that right? 
Yeah, they've taken on debt uh, to do it, which is pretty crazy. And these were bad investments before Airbnb and VRBO, and they're even worse now. And what's so crazy is that in 2022, the average transaction sales price for timeshares were nearly $24,000 when bought directly from a developer. But as you said, if you go on sell my timeshare now, you can find thousands of these for free, basically a dollar. Some of them are zero because people just want to avoid that monthly maintenance cost. Some people are essentially paying you to take it. They're saying they'll pay the transaction fees. They'll pay X amount of the first year. Mm -hmm. Um, It's interesting to me that if you, if you, if personally, if I see something that somebody is telling me is an investment and they're going to give it for me for negative money, meaning mm-hmm. they will pay me to take it. Uh, it's probably not something you should do. Yeah, and you know, what's interesting is that Marriott is one of many of these timeshare companies that, uh, that operate uh, these properties. And they actually have first right of refusal. So a lot of times they're buying these for basically nothing back from the people they sold them to for tens of thousands of dollars and then reselling them. And so that's actually something they're doing to, to recycle. That's a great, great business for them. But obviously... In today's world, with just the plethora of options for a vacation, nobody should be buying a timeshare for any reason whatsoever. And so, um, no, don't ever allow anyone to convince you that these are good investments. They are uh, some of the worst investments you could ever make in your life. 401V does not exist. (laughs) Only in someone's mind. All right. Well, I'm Justin Klein with Luke Guerrero. This completes another InvestDoc program. We thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. Independent thinking, shared success. This is InvestDoc. Good night. InvestTalk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART. Thank you.